From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. Hello and welcome to the Patrick Henningsen Show with me, Basil Valentine, sitting in for Patrick as guest host today, Monday the 12th of February 2024, here on today's News Talk, streaming out live on our website at tntradio.live and on YouTube and across multiple platforms. I'm delighted to say we've got another highly informative and hopefully enlightening program for you today with three great guests later in our two i'll be joined by our latest tnt host or one of the latest pelineroth taylor uh, for talking all things european politics also in the second hour i'll be joined by founder of the american conservative magazine scott mcconnell for the first time also the author of uh no longer a neocon uh, his book about his personal political journey from neocon to authentic conservative and his organization promotes peace prosperity liberty and community and i'll be asking scott whether there is such a candidate in 2024 it seems all the viable alternatives are all war candidates I really didn't think I'd hear myself saying that 20 years ago, but there we are. I'm delighted to say in this first hour, I'm joined by Trish Wood, also a sometime TNT host, sometime in the past and very possibly sometime in the future. But she's also she's also a renowned filmmaker, journalist and all round good egg. And I'm very pleased to welcome you to the program today, Trish. Happy to be here. I can't stay away. You know, I'm just sort of connected to TNT <laughs> and, and ways are just small. Do you think Scott could maybe have a conversation with Douglas Murray about exiting the neocon framework? It would be so great, wouldn't it? Uh, well, it would. But unfortunately, I think Douglas Murray is too far gone. I don't know if you've seen his latest posts on X. Uh, well, apart tell, from do the tell, fact- do tell. Well, I mean, apart from the fact that he's sort of, uh, well, I'm going to use a really rather unkind and unpleasant expression here, but I'm afraid to say when it uh, comes to running cover for genocide, uh, I'm entitled to do so. I I don't think the language can be too strong. He is effectively Benjamin Netanyahu's rent boy and has... Uh, has uh, interviewed him in the softest possible way recently. But even more recently, he's been uh, posing for some extremely vain-looking portraits know, which he's been I posting know. on air. I, I found that doing? really very surprising. He's like, I know. he's been in the gym, I guess. Well, when he was out in, and I'm only being mean to Douglas because I used to admire him. So I'm kind of, I'm a bit of a woman scorned here. It's difficult when you're, when your rhetorical heroes turn out to be kind of, you know, weirdos, right? So he was doing the kind of um, muscle man magazine cover stuff when he was cosplaying on the border there between Gaza and Israel, which was pretty, I think it was on Piers Morgan's show. He had his, you know, his shirts rolled up so you could see a little, oh. it was really weird. 
And then, of course, and of course, he's dodging these rockets. Well, he's nowhere near the fighting in any way, shape, or form. And all these brave uh, Palestinian and Gazan uh, journalists are being blown to bits right on the other side. I mean, it was just it was an awful thing. But I, I agree with what you're saying. He seems to have become. Uh, the comms department for Netanyahu and the cabinet. And I even saw him, I have this algorithm that shoots all of these Gaza Israeli shows into my my YouTube uh, watching. And I saw him, I would never have sought this out is what I'm saying, but but I saw him doing a fundraiser for the IDF, which was really blowing my, like we got starvation and amputation and no medical care and everybody's dying and no buildings, everything's ruined on this side. And he's raising money for the people doing that. And I never want to see the phrase journalist in his bio ever again, because that ain't what this is. And as I've said, probably to you and others since this started, and I, got the gist of how destructive and immoral it was going to be, you know, he may wake up as many people will, I hope, or we're all lost with a pretty big moral hangover at some point when people start speaking more truthfully about what's going on in, in Gaza, unless they're so distracted by the Super Bowl, they never talk about it again. But I am completely gobsmacked by the amount of people who've really lost their critical thinking skills here and part of it has to do with the the neocon project obviously of uh of war with iran and and getting israel um cover in in what's happening in gaza and then what's sort of igniting a larger regional conflict is the way they're going to do it and that's really the plan here i think i hope you're wrong um Murray, of course, was at the forefront of the whole sort of death of Europe by Muslim mm. immigration mm-hmm. uh, narrative. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I have had some sympathies with that perspective in the past. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. Me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what he's done is taken the sort of most hardline and frankly idiotic and deliberately mendacious Zionist position, which is that somehow uh, Israel is fighting against the Muslim hordes, which, unless it is victorious, will be coming to Europe. In fact, the reverse is true. Muslim people have been uh, coming to Europe as a result of Zionist wars. Uh, Syrian refugees, Afghan refugees, Iraqi refugees, all coming to Europe because they have been destroyed, their countries have been attacked by the United States at Israel's behest, or at mm. Israel at the, with the United States behest, it amounts to the same thing. So that, you know, that penny doesn't seem to have dropped with uh, Douglas Murray. If you want to be a conspiracy theorist, some people even say that it's entirely deliberate that Israel is flooding the West with Muslims. It's that it's in Israel's interests to destroy Christendom with millions of Muslims. Now, I don't necessarily go there, um, but I'm surprised that Murray isn't aware of the facts on the ground. Um, And also, of course, I mean, the most mendacious thing about that is that uh, the Palestinian resistance is fighting for land and human rights 
and freedom and a Palestinian state and all this has got nothing to do with uh, attacking Israel because it's full of Jewish people. But yeah. I've seen even, uh, even yesterday and today statements uh, from European politicians condemning anyone who says that October the 7th was anything other than an anti-Semitic attack. I mean, it's just such total garbage. October the 7th was a reaction to 75 years of brutal oppression, slow motion genocide and apartheid. Simple as that. Yeah. Well, and, and as you and I both know, the, the kind of in conflation of the worst aspects of October 7th, many of which didn't happen, um, was used, I think, very cynically and very cleverly by Netanyahu and the, the more extreme, mem well, I think everybody in his cabinet's extreme, but to, to completely dehumanize the Palestinian people. They knew if they crossed the line into suggesting in, in what they believed was a credible way, uh, that Palestinian civilians are all Hamas. So therefore, they're, they're killable and we should do it with, without any, without feeling any remorse about it. And today, even the plan is larger because this morning, even they, they had some news story out from the, the Israeli government that an Al Jazeera cameraman was caught as Hamas. And now, you know, an UNRWA is Hamas. And, all the hospitals are Hamas, like that's what they do. And, and they know once they lay that claim, even if it's later rebunked as the UNRWA claims have been quite seriously, it doesn't matter because it gave them enough of a window of cover to keep on going. And that's what's happening here. And I know you know, because you probably read Max Blumenthal as enthusiastically as I do, I think he's become a great hero of reporting in this because it's not easy to debunk October 7th atrocity stories without being attacked by all manner of people in on social media and elsewhere. Um, the October 7th atrocity stories are falling apart. Sure, there were, uh, you know, some, maybe a few. We don't know how many, but Netanyahu himself put the kibosh on any kind of an investigation into what happened that day. And I believe that even the IDF was asking for it. And he said, no, the reason he's saying no is because they pushed out all these liars to talk about beheaded babies and the baby in the oven and cutting the baby out of the woman. And now even the rape story has been breeze. I would say reasonably thoroughly debunked by a multitude of people. And, and the, the latest on that, as I understand it, is that the big New York Times story, I think by a guy named Gettleman, who was one of the Russia hoax guys, um, they refused to run a podcast about that story because so many people in the newsroom at the New York Times were saying, well, there's not really any evidence in there. And it was kind of like with all of this propaganda that's pushed out into the news media, they always take Israel's word for it. They don't ask for any kind of independent proof and that and the rape story not to digress too much into it but just so people don't think i'm being unnecessarily unkind or insensitive to sexual assault of women and i'm not especially given that i am one that the a lot of the people telling the so-called stories were either not first-hand witnesses or if they claim to be first-hand witnesses they were well 
exposed liars already. There were some people in this kind of rescue group that have been exposed as constantly telling fibs about what they're finding. There was another guy um, who claimed to have been a general somewhere who said that he saw a baby in a garbage can who'd been stabbed to death. He was another guy pushing the rape story. And a family of one of the rape victims even pushed back, saying that never happened to her. And when the New York Times called us about it, we didn't even really talk about that because it wasn't something we knew to be true. So all of these terrible, I, I want your your viewers and your listeners to fully understand that this is not me being mean. This is that this was a technique that some of us spotted as I, I wrote about this on October the 13th and it faced a backlash like I never have in my entire career, not since the 1990s when I exposed another scam around a sexual abuse claim, but people get very angry. And this is a plan, and the plan is as long as they are dehumanizing the pals, as long as Israel is the victim, as long as they can move what happened on October 7th far away from a kind of a resistance movement like the NRA or like the ANC who kind of at the end were accepted and kind of heroic. As long as they can keep what Hamas did and who they are as far away from those more kind of, if you can use the word acceptable, that's wrong, but accepted, let's say that, yeah. uh, struggles, then, then they can keep going. And then that's this is all a game. And and I, I will say this as somebody who I covered the Middle East. I was in Israel in the West Bank doing a big investigative story. And boy, did we receive blowback. But I, I've been there. I've seen it. And I will tell you that the IDF and the spokesman for the Israeli government are known by every reporter who's ever been in that region to be accomplished liars. There's no doubt about that. That's not me saying anything anti-Semitic. It's the way that the IDF and successive governments there have done business and they justify it because they have historically been victims and everything is on the table as far as they see defending their country. So being a journalist at a time like this is really, really hard. And I feel that the media has just rolled over and they've just decided, well, we're gonna do this because fighting back on any of these fronts is a is an exhausting time consuming and really dangerous job that can ruin careers i mean look at norman finkelstein he's kind of a shell of his former self he's losing weight you know he's doing an interview every day to be heard wherever he can on this it's a very very hard slog and even though the people the people who've seen what's going on in gaza which is to say that you know the voters and the and the population seem to be siding more with the Palestinians. The elites are not. They are not. And my friend CJ Hopkins told me the other day that he sees what's going on in Gaza as a flex by global elites to scare us into knowing that they can do whatever they want. The violence is so extreme. They want us to know that they can do this against a people with Western compliance. We're all sending and paying for these weapons that are obliterating women and children in the most grotesque ways. So what that he feels, and I, I agree with him, that um, they're saying we can do this anytime we want and look at no one can stop us. No one can stop what we're doing. So this is kind of a bad day. I, I'm not a happy person this morning, especially after seeing what happened with Rafa this morning when I got up. 
Uh, absolutely, I, I fully concur. And the latest lie from the Israeli lie machine is that women and children were involved in the October the 7th attacks. This, of course, of course uh, is a bid to somehow justify their mass slaughter over the last mm. four months. I'm Basil Valentine in for Patrick Henningsen today on the Patrick Henningsen Show. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back after these messages. TNT's Abby Roberts. So this is the headline in The Guardian. Pleasure of sex is a gift from God, but avoid porn. Pope advises. What is it with religious people and sex? Isn't there anything else that's 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 more important to worry about? And this is what uh, this is what Pope Francis uh, say. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it in an Italian accent just to be even more offensive. Sexual pleasure is a gift from God, but Catholics must avoid pornography. Pope Francis has said. The Pontiff. Oh, I tell you what though, he was all for giving people lots of pricks during 2021. Bloody hell, mRNA's fine, but just not porn. Abby Roberts on TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to The Patrick Henningsen Show with me, Basil Valentine. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the uh, crusading journalist and filmmaker, (laughs) Trish Wood. And uh, as we were saying during that short break, an hour isn't enough to fully unpack the horror unfolding in Gaza. Uh, apparently, Lord Cameron, uh, Britain's unelected foreign secretary, says Israel should stop and think on the Rafa offensive. This is typical of the milk toast words we hear from Western leaders. Uh, Joseph Borrell, the EU foreign policy chief, has expressed his deep concern today. But at the mm. same time, un- almost unbelievably, Western governments continue to shower Israel with ammunition and weapons. The United States has just voted another 14 billion to continue with this slaughter. Absolutely oblivious to the fact that it is in all likelihood in direct contravention of international court of justice rulings. This leads me to say, Trish, that we are in some kind of world constitutional crisis. I was naive enough prior to the ICJ ruling, to think that it might have some effect, but it's just been completely ignored. Yeah, well, and look what they did on the day after, or maybe it was the day of the ICJ kind of iffy ruling about it. Um, They unleashed this dossier suggesting that everybody at UNRWA, which is a UN body, 
was in on October 7th. So this is what they do. And everybody that ran with the story, and then of course it was debunked later by multiple places, including Channel 4's um, Lindsay Hilson, I believe her name is, who did a bang up job of, of reporting that one out. But, but, you know, you're, you're right about the language. Like what did, what did, what did Joe Biden mumble at the microphone last week in his kind of daughtering, cognitively impaired, demented and debased way of communicating <laughs> with the voters? He said it was over the top. Oh, that's got to be yeah. the understatement of the, of the century. I mean, really? Yeah. And but he, what are they doing? Are they like they just want to be on the record saying something, even if it's ridiculous, so nobody could say they didn't say anything? Or or let's not forget Tony Blinken's heartfelt um, confessions that when he sees dead guys and children, he thinks of his own, but he sends them more bombs. Like like we somebody was a Winston Churchill who said people get the government they deserve. I don't know if or maybe that's wrongly connected to him, but somebody said it. And if that if this is the government we deserve, then we really need to be taken out to the woodshed because we've done some pretty bad things here in electing these absolute fools who seem to be completely okay with one of the biggest war crimes ever. I mean, ever, right? I mean, I'm sure you woke up and saw on your Twitter feed that young girl, limbless girl who'd been blasted onto a wall in Gaza with not just amputated legs, but they'd been kind of fried and she's hanging there. And that's sort of what I woke up to this morning. And of course, I'm sure Israel will say, well, she was Hamas or something. She crossed over the border on October the 7th and attacked somebody. And they'll report that with a straight face. So, you know, there there's something very, very wrong. And the only bright lights for me, well, there's a few, but I have been praying a lot just because I'm I'm desperate, right? I, I need some kind of spiritual sustenance around something so dark. But there are interesting people doing interesting things, including this guy named Paul Bigger or Bigard, if you know who he is. Text for Palestine, T-E-C-H, which was actually pulled down by Elon, a Twitter feed. And he's a guy who has a big tech company that he sold for a gazillion dollars and started a new one and realized that all of his suppliers were all in on the the uh, genocide in Gaza and said, I don't want your money. Don't give me your money. I don't want it. This is wrong. He wrote a piece on Substack says, I can't sleep at night anymore, which is probably kind of how you're feeling too, like I am. And um, he's. I think he's either funded or connected to something called October 7th Fact Check on um, Twitter, but it's a website and you can go there and see all the debunked atrocity stories that are happening. So there are amazing people coming forward, but they pay a price and there's not enough of them. And um, we're governed by people with absolutely no, who do not exist in the same moral landscape as, as average people do. I don't know what they think is going on here, but it's so clear. Yes, uh, Blinken keeps talking about pursuing some kind of mythical pathway towards peace in the future. Uh, he tweeted earlier today, we will continue to pursue a real pathway toward enduring peace and yeah. security for yeah. Israelis, Palestinians and everyone in the region. That is a future we're going to be working toward in the weeks and months ahead on a day when hundreds of Palestinians have been murdered and mutilated with weapons he supplied. 
This yeah. is really sort of bizarrely, dichotomously sinister stuff, isn't it? Well, and I don't know what he's talking about because Netanyahu is on record as saying now and always we're never having a two-state solution, which sort of bugs me because, um, you know, Doug, getting back to Douglas Murray, I'm not going to pick on him, but he's the guy that gets these balls rolling because he's so pick influential. On <laughs> well, he's influential, right? So he, he he's the one who's been saying, oh, well, the pals never wanted. They turned down every deal. And and so I actually went and checked that. I did what journalists do. I interviewed Rashid Khalidi and other people, and they said, that's garbage. They were never actually offered a proper state. So anybody saying that is a liar. And it's true. They they are a- actually lying about it. So and, and, and it's turned out that if you review what Netanyahu has said his whole life, he would never go for an actual two-state solution for the Palestinians. And he said it like three weeks ago after Biden said, maybe we should look at this. He said, not doing it. Don't care if America wants us to. We're not doing it. So what is he talking about? Like, do they what really exactly? think we're idiots? Netanyahu is, I know Netanyahu will very likely be gone the minute that this, I'm not even going to call it a war. It's not a war. It's a genocide. This thing is wrapped up to their satisfaction, which will be, all of Gaza obliterated and the people out. And there will be, you know, settler Israelis coming in to build their holiday homes at the beach, right, in northern, that's what's going to happen. And we all know it. And that was always the plan, always the plan. Of course it was. So so the idea that they're somehow going to, you know, maybe will we'll Israel elect a, a new cabinet that will actually do peace. And, and I, I don't think we should not talk about what's happening in Israel right now, too, because this is very disheartening for me. I read last week that Israel is planning on jail sentences for people who question the October 7th narrative that he's stitching madly. And I'm also reading that there is 60% approval in Israel to not have a ceasefire. And I'm seeing settlers who are dancing and singing in front of the Rafa gate to prevent aid. And I'm seeing Jewish diaspora people in DC chanting, no ceasefire, no ceasefire. So I, you know, is this a mass hysteria event in a country full of people whom I've admired my whole life, especially for their, the lefty kind of, uh, uh, refuseniks who were fighting alongside Nelson Mandela and the ANC back in the day and losing lives and limbs to do so. What is going on now in the in the nation state of Israel and the diaspora about this? Is this an artifact of the atrocity propaganda, or is there something more more deep at play here? I'm I'm very very troubled by it. Well, first of all, unfortunately, even if Netanyahu is deposed, as he surely will be sooner or later, uh, any new government is going to take exactly the same position. Uh, You think so? The idea that somehow this is a particularly extreme Israeli government and there's going to be a swing back to a more moderate Israeli government is total fantasy, is, uh, you know, the best chance there was for a lasting peace solution was in the early 90s or before that. Since then, Israeli society has moved gradually rightwards um, to to a point of proto-fascism. Cabinet ministers have threatened to resign if there's a ceasefire. And the people in the Israeli administration that the Biden administration thinks, that the White House thinks are the moderates, people like Benny Gantz, 
are ones yeah. who have been pushing for an end to the humanitarian aid, who have been supporting the protesters preventing aid from getting in. There's a Turkish ship at a port in Israel right now, full of aid that's been there for a month. And the authorities are refusing to let it be unloaded. Uh, it, it, you know, people are starving in northern Gaza. We had yeah, Sarah Wilkinson yeah. on, on Friday on the program yeah. talking about uh, the starving, you know, grinding up animal feed to eat, eating grass, oh. things like this, and the airdrops that they're organizing from yeah. Jordan. So please look that up, Gaza airdrop. In, in terms of what happens to Gaza, yes, I know the uh, settler movement want to move in and build their holiday homes on the beach on the graves of Palestinians, quite literally, on their graves. Um, so the push is going to come to shove because people like Blinken, with all his talk of two states and uh, some sort of long-term peaceful solution, knows that the complete ethnic cleansing of Gaza is globally unacceptable politically, period, period. There has to be a line at which the Zionist death machine is stopped. It's as simple as that now at the moment. Well, what line say, is that? What line well, is that? A very, that's a very good question. That's the one we're looking for. We keep waiting for it. I thought it was going to be the ICJ ruling. I mean, how naive was I? My God. Yeah. You know, um, but I'd uh, like to ask you this, too, as a longtime observer. Let me just interview you for a second, because, you know, <laughs> way more about this stuff than I do. And that just getting back to 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 what's afoot, you know, in Israel with the Israeli people right now, what has happened here? You know, I, 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 I'm not a person who makes generalizations about a people, right? I don't do that. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, it, it feels, it, is it a mass hysteria event? Why are they moving farther to the right? What, what is, what has happened in that country and then in the supporters of Israel and the diaspora to make them not see the immorality of what they're doing? I mean, these dancing and singing IDF videos, what the hell is that about? The, you know, we're seeing all of these, you know, let me just say this. Sorry. I wrote a book about the Iraq war with a bunch of American soldiers who served there. And I learned one thing that even when soldiers are doing bad things, they still retain some humanity. And many of them don't do well after kind of an atrocity filled insurgency war. They don't. It's a real problem for them. But here's the difference between the Americans who did Abu Ghraib and, and all the other stuff that happened in, during the Iraq war. They weren't singing and dancing about it. I mean, they weren't. Of course, TikTok didn't exist. Maybe they were. But my sense after interviewing them is that they weren't singing and dancing. And most of the atrocities happened because they were frightened. I don't get the sense that that's what's going on here. I feel like it's some, there's some, in the TikTok videos, there's some glee being expressed about taking out civilians. I'm just going to say it uh, and worry about the blowback, but that's how it feels. So how did we get here? How, how has this happened? Is it because the kids in the IDF are so propagandized at, at, by at an early, I, I don't understand it. Maybe you could explain. Uh, it's a big answer really is required. But yes, uh, Israeli society is extremely heavily propagandized. Uh, 
in peculiar ways. You know, I'm afraid to say uh, they a lot of them do consider themselves to be the chosen people and that yeah. therefore they have the right to do whatever they like, that the yeah. world owes them as a result of the Second World War. And they yeah. have uh, a pink ticket to uh, colonize the whole of historic Palestine. I mean, in fact, the more extreme ones say that they want to take Libya, parts of Syria, Saudi Arabia, build this greater Israel project, all the rest of it. Uh, there's an enormous amount of sheer hatred of the other. We've seen, yeah. I mean, part of the South African case at the ICJ uh, was focusing on descriptions of Palestinians as animals, as yeah. subhuman. And yeah. I'm afraid to say that that view has always been present in Israeli society yeah. going back decades, yeah. but now yeah. seems to be the majority opinion. You know, the yeah. idea that there was sort of some sort of liberal kibbutzim based yes. peace and love type Zionism making the desert bloom and, you know, bringing an oasis of Western civility to the barbaric lands of the Near East, that, you forget it, you know. I mean, yeah. nothing could be further from the truth. Elon Pape actually says that. He says the idea of liberal Zionism is kind of an oxymoron. It can't, they believed it could exist, and I think those people were sincere, but it can't exist within the framework of, of Zionism now. It's a very, very sad thing, a very, very sad thing to see. And it's also what's also interesting about it is that people who pointed out obviously are persecuted. Germany has gone completely crazy. Um, uh, and, and what's interesting about Germany in doing all of this really authoritarian stuff to shut down any criticism of Israel is that what they're doing is an atonement for what they did to the Jews. And by doing this atonement for what they did to the Jews, they're actually now doing the same thing by encouraging this terrible attack on Gaza and shutting people up who want to stop it. Like it's created all of these really mind-blowing reverberations that are almost like, would you have believed this five years ago that this could even be happening? No, I mean, COVID did convince me that there's evil in the world and that uh, our institutions can fall very quickly um, if people are frightened enough. And so we may be seeing another event like that around this, but in a different way, because the atrocity stuff got off to such a good start. I mean, if you go back now, someone can make a whole film just about the 40 beheaded babies and what it was designed to do. But if you go mm -hmm. back and look at like on October 9th, what the Daily Mail, what CNN, what the President of the United States was saying about that story, which is the ultimate taboo, obviously, beheading babies, and links all Palestinians to Hamas, who we all fear. Um, that is kind of what got the ball rolling. So now Netanyahu has convinced the people who live in Israel that you've got baby beheaders living two feet away and that they're all going to come and kill them and behead all the babies. That's right. Right? That's what he's done here. And that is a crime, in my view, in its own right. You, they've, they've completely... Uh, corrupted the minds, in a sense, of, of many of their own people. Now, look, I know there are people pushing back in Israel, and they're having a terrible time. I saw the interview with that teacher who was 
uh, yes. put in jail, I believe, for speaking out on behalf of the Palestinians, and then chased out of the school by his own students. I mean, that was crazy. So there's a lot of really interesting sociological stuff happening in Israel. And, you know, and it's because I have done so much reporting on wonderful things Israeli people have done, that this is a pretty shocking turn of events. And maybe it's just that I was like the rest of the world, I was dialed out of all of these issues for 15 years. I was off on a frolic right. doing, doing other films, right? And so I didn't realize that this was kind of burbling up on, under the surface. But I did see Abby Martin's clips of interviewing Israelis in the streets. I don't know if you've seen those. And there asking, is. right, their views of Palestinians. Wow. I mean, it was, it was like pure racism. I mean, the most astonishing clips I've seen in a very, very long time. So things have changed. And I guess the election of Netanyahu in and of itself says something, doesn't it, about where where they are. And I hope that, um, well, I was going to say, I, you know, this, I, I, I worry about the IDF kids even who are going to have to go back and face what they've done. At some point, they will have a moral reckoning, I think. And I think Israel is probably going to have that too when maybe when cooler heads prevail, if they ever do. And if there isn't, if they're not wiped out by some other country who is so mad about what's happening that there's a, you know, a huge escalation, which I think is happening now. A couple of quick points. First of all, the Germans, the foreign minister Baerbock, who continues to oppose a ceasefire, celebrated her 43rd birthday with Israeli military figures at a Zionist lobby event in Germany. Uh, and she's a green, Trish, a green. I mean, aren't the greens supposed to be peaceniks, uh, you know? Yeah, what's uh, happened? Absolutely bizarre. And as for the returning IDF soldiers, well, uh, a chaplain, believe it or not, from mm. a university in England went to fight for the IDF. And a chaplain? Returned, a chaplain. <laughs> I, can't, I can't work it out myself. I promise you, I can't work it out myself. Um, uh, and has returned to the university to be greeted by banners saying uh, no IDF on campus, which is perfectly fair enough. He is yeah. complicit in the ultimate crime, genocide. Yeah. Why yeah. should anybody uh, have to rub shoulders with war criminals? And the protesters, of course, are being labelled anti-Semitic. I mean, you can't and Hamas supporters. They're and they're they're pro-Hamas, right. right? If you that's right. Yeah, but but we're going to take a short break, yeah. Trish. We've got to take a short break. We'll be right yes, back. Hold that thought. I'm Basil Valentine in for Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back after these messages. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO, or El Nino, La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record. So something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. 
Now, I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now, the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. One scorching heat wave will leave me powerless to cool my insulin. When the storm rolls in, my time to find a pet-friendly evacuation center will have run out. <laughs> I'm relying on luck, but who knows if it'll be on my side. When it comes to disasters and emergencies, it's not a matter of if, but when. Take control. One, assess your needs. Two, make a plan. Three, engage your support network. Let's prepare so we all have a better story to tell. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. And welcome back to the program. I'm Basil Valentine in for Patrick Henningsen today. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Trish Wood. Uh, we are going over the horrific events in Gaza. We have to, I'm afraid to say, too many people want to talk about something else all the time. Yeah. Last night, it seems, in a phone call, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was given the green light by Joe Biden for what is now being called the Super Bowl massacre. Uh, apparently, Biden uh, told Netanyahu he had to sort of play by the rules. You know, um, I saw an interview with Netanyahu uh, on CNN, and uh, when asked where exactly the Palestinians should evacuate to 1.4 yeah. million of them crowded into Gaza. He started saying that now they should go north again to areas that he described as Israel as having cleared. In other words, turned into rubble. Uh, the government media office in Gaza, meanwhile, has published the following statistics about the scale of the destruction. 2,438 separate massacres, 35,000 people either dead or missing, including over 12,000 children and 8,500 women. 340 medical workers have been murdered, 46 civil defence uh, operatives and 124 journalists. 7,000 people are missing, 70% of them women and children, presumed dead under the rubble, and 67,784 are wounded. 10,000 cancer patients are at risk of death, and 700,000 people have infectious diseases as a result of displacement. 60,000 pregnant women are at risk due to lack of access to health care. 184 mosques have been completely destroyed. 100 schools and universities have been completely destroyed. 
and another 295 partially or largely destroyed. 66,000 tonnes of explosives have been dropped, 30 hospitals have been taken out of service, and 290,000 residential units have been partially destroyed, another 70,000 completely destroyed. I mean, this just, I mean, well, you have to call it evil. I'm sorry, Trish. We have to use the appropriate words, otherwise our whole moral compass and philosophical political frames of reference start to become uh, invalid. This is evil. Well, you know, it's thank you for listing those numbers. I, thank you. That That's like an act of journalism you just committed there because other people aren't doing that in the same way. Or they're saying, oh, they're Hamas numbers. I guess we've stopped doing that. We've stopped impugning the numbers by saying they're Hamas numbers because everybody knows they're true. So they'll find another trick, but we've stopped that. But, but you know, in a way, this is like COVID for me because I, I was an early understander of the fraud and folly of the COVID public policy response of letting your loved ones die alone, locking people in so they committed suicide, all the horrible things. And I lived in a parallel universe to my friends and neighbors because I was like, well, aren't you upset? Are you, aren't you losing sleep? Don't you find that this is, we shouldn't be doing this. And, and this is the same, only bigger for me. I, I am isolated from many, many people in my social circle who do not see this the way that I do. And even though they're critical thinkers on many issues on this, they're quoting all the Israeli talking points. Well, if, if Hamas would only hand over the hostages, this would end. We had to blow up those children and that school and that refugee camp and that hospital because Hamas won't hand over the hostages, which is ridiculous because Israel's killing the hostages with bombardment anyway. And when they try to get picked up and taken back to Israel and wave white flags, they get killed that way too. So that's just, these things are all talking points. And what what upsets me, many things about this upset me, but one of them is that people are so into the kind of instabites of information that happen around digital, uh, you know, news reading and Twitter feeds and stuff that they speak in talking points and they never really follow through with what we're seeing what it actually actually means, right? So those statistics that you said are so devastating and paint such a terrible picture. You know, we're seeing them granularly in some of the photographs, like this girl hanging from the wall. I myself saw one that haunts me of a kid who was brought in um, missing three limbs and no face, but was still alive and screaming gutturally because it had no mouth i'm saying it because oh. it, didn't seem to be, but it was a child oh. i mean it was just like it was johnny got his gun right it was dalton trumbo but a child who wasn't even a fighter and uh, mercifully um he that child died but so we see the granular stuff but the larger picture is in those statistics and um and the larger picture though also like covid is the trauma for the world is those of us who are dialed in and living with this every day and seeing it and those who are going on about their business and i'm not such an old rickety old hag that i <laughs> am upset that people went to the the super bowl game i i don't say you can't have fun if there's bad things going on i'm not that person but there was something 
kind of specifically grotesque about the Taylor Swift, Kelsey, we're all super rich people with, you know, with Usher, actually the worst performance he's ever given in my view, but Usher, and all of the hoopla and the money and stuff going on while Israel had just began, as you said, this, the massacre in Rafa, you know, the Super Bowl. I hope it's that name sticks. Because I also didn't see a single Palestinian flag anywhere at that event. Maybe there were some. I didn't see any. But 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 it just highlights the the distance between the people who are not awake to what's happening and the people who are. And I fully, fully blame the media for this. And I know I've said this to Patrick, but it's worth repeating. It is disgusting for me as a senior journalist who spent my whole life in this business trying to do do good and trying to expose bad things so people's lives can improve for the world's media outside mm. of a few to remain silent while Gaza journalists are blown to bits. Have you seen the look in Motaz's eyes since he came out? He is mentally impaired right now, in my view. I saw an interview he did with Al, Al Jazeera, this guy who, for your listeners who might not know or, or viewers, he was uh, there from the beginning, young guy, 24, became a bit of a rock star with his Instagram posts. And there's a piece of video of him flying through Gaza in, in the front seat of an ambulance carrying two dying children. I mean, he's really a hero, kind of a handsome young Palestinian. And he left after saying he wouldn't leave. And I think he left because his own mental health was struggling. And I don't blame him one bit. And then I saw him do an interview for Al Jazeera. And he, it's like what they say about Vietnam vets, right? The 10,000 yard stare. This guy's got serious PTSD, serious struggles. He'll never be normal. And he said, I'll never forget what I saw. So we've got all these, here's a 24-year-old with a camera doing God's work as a journalist. And our fat cat, highly paid millionaire poodles can't be bothered to protest to Israel that they need to get into Gaza and not have to be embedded with the IDF, which is the case now. So who is carrying the, the freight for all of the world knowing about Gaza, right? It's social media people out of Gaza and it's Al Jazeera journalists and a few, a few others. And they're literally being blown to bits for doing it. And I don't, like, I don't hear Anderson Cooper, you know, who makes what, 10, 15 million a year to tell lies for the national security state, for the security state, like doing anything to support these guys. And, and here's what I know about this because I've worked in the region. Every single one of those guys working at Al, and women working at Al Jazeera would be hired as a fixer for an American news crew going in to cover the war under different circumstances. They would be respected and valued members of the team because they spoke Arabic and because they knew their way around. We had one when I was there. We had a Palestinian fixer and an Israeli fixer, and they fought constantly. It was actually pretty funny. Um, but but we had a. It was a lovely guy. We valued him highly. Highly. And those are the guys being blown and women being blown to bits now, uh, with no outreach or concern at all by legacy media. And today, the most disgusting thing, as I said at the beginning of this, was Israel starting to smear Al Jazeera journalists, of course, uh, as, as Hamas, you know, fighters or some ridiculous thing. And let me just say one more thing about this. Um, Chris Hedges, who is a brilliant foreign correspondent, won a Pulitzer Prize covering war for the New York Times. 
uh, and worked in Gaza for years and knows it really, really well, gave a speech in a church in Boston about six weeks ago that devastated me and had me in tears and himself in tears. And the last thing he said uh, in this talk, he said, I'm addressing the children of Gaza as a journalist. I'm sorry we let you down. The world's journalists have all let you down. We must all go and stand at the Rafa gate and protest until they stop this. That's what we should be doing as journalists. And it was a very, very beautiful um, sort of creed de cour from him. And I feel some guilt. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm old and rickety. Could I manage covering Gaza right now? Probably not. You know, my knees hurt and my memory's not what it was. But, but you know, where are the young journalists clamoring to get in? They're, they're, they're not, you know, they're not. And the guy going in as a journalist is, uh, is our old friend there. So, you know, going in with the IDF and then standing beside Netanyahu, Douglas Murray. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, this is also a huge, huge, huge stain on legacy media, one it will never shake off, ever, in my I, view. I, absolutely, I agree with you. I mean, it goes down to the terminology used. Palestinians are women and not girls. They're people, not children. They die, they're not killed. It's a conflict, not a genocide. And it's a war against Hamas, not against Palestinian children, which is yeah. the fact. It does everything in its power to downplay what Israel is doing to Palestine. Disgusting. Uh, and Disgusting. all one can say is, just think for a moment, if it was the other way round, if it was yeah. 30,000 Israelis that had been murdered, oh. if it was a hundred synagogues that had been destroyed. I mean, we heard the wailing and gnashing of teeth about October the 7th as being uh, the biggest uh, slaughter of Jewish people since the end of the Second World War. It was a, a, a cut on a finger compared to what's happened in Gaza, uh, you know, yeah. and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. No, go well, ahead. Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. Well, I was just going to say, I, I want to bring us up to date with where we are uh, with the diplomatic language, which yes. uh, uh, doesn't really do us any good. Uh, Joseph Borrell, the European Foreign Policy Chief, has made a thinly veiled call for the United States to rethink its military aid to Israel due to the high number of civilian casualties. Uh, what annoys me about all this, of course, is that quite simply these people are not prepared to take on board the human suffering that's caused, like that poor yeah. child uh, that you described, uh, the tremendous pain that, you know, the awful thing about this is that there seems to be a sadism about these attacks. Yes. Weapons yes. are used by white phosphorus um, and bunker busting bombs that fly shrapnel in all directions, slicing people's limbs off. There are toddlers who've had their lives, legs sliced off before they've learned to walk. I mean, yeah. uh, and this is described as self-defense, that this yeah. simply requires the United States to rethink. The, the problem is that on Capitol Hill and in American media, at the end of the day, this is acceptable. Yeah, I, I, you know what, I, I'll say this to you because I know you'll get it. I never use the word hate and I'm hating the people now who I am. I want to go on a hunger strike and I'm only half kidding. Like so they're, they're, people are not responding in the way that human beings respond. And speaking of children and, and the, the odd kind of sacrificial language about them, the story of that little girl Hind who was trapped in a car that had been attacked by the IDF. She was trapped in the car for multiple days with the dead bodies of her family. 
and then the 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 red crescent goes in after she and she's on the phone saying come and get me i mean i mean and what was interesting about that story is that you can hear the tape the way that the palestinian rescue forces speak to her is very tender they call her dear and stuff it's really kind of a lovely thing to notice but but then they the idf gives the red crescent ambulance guys permission to come in and then they blast them to smithereens and they kill her so what are we doing this is not good this is not good no it's not good uh, we can only hope that pressure from world populations effectively people power is able to yeah. bring this slaughter to an end and bring the guilty to justice just as importantly trish i can't thank you enough for joining us today it's been tough but we've got to do it it's our duty to talk yep. about these things and i very much appreciate you joining us today on today's news talk happy to do it thanks <laughs>